Well, good morning, everybody. I think it's on. Is it working today? Think so? Hope you all brought lunch. Those of you who did, it all looks good. So, all right. So welcome online people. I think all the streaming is working. I don't even, I just, I think it all is. Is it all working, Patty? Are you online? Yes, I'm sure you can hear me. Isn't that spectacular? It's everything's working today, so we're grateful for that. And I'm grateful that all of you are here. We're grateful we can gather like this on a Tuesday. We will be here until the on every Tuesday until the middle of August. Patty and I are going to go away for a week or a little bit more than a week in August, and we'll miss a couple of Tuesdays. But um, other than that, we'll be here. And when August gets here, we'll still be in 1 Corinthians for sure. But we will not be in... We will not be in chapter one. So, so yeah, that's good. So, notice if you need an extra seat, the Brookses and the Harbisons are not here, which means there's this empty table. What? I think Gary does. I don't know about Jan. I hope Gary's okay because he's got, he, he's got, some, good. He's got, to give him our best. He's got some other, there you go. No reason to sit where there. Nope, you're not on camera. Nope. Only me, and even I, because the because we don't have these blackout curtains up yet. Um, I'm I'm still just this black shadow on the screen, really. Really? How many fi How many fingers am I holding up? No, you're spot. <laughs> you can't. You can't. Okay. <laughs> Very good. And what did Kyle say? Oh. I'll send him another note. Send him another note yet. Another note yet. So anyway, um, so we are back to talk about First Corinthians. The red. There are two red boxes. Please keep those moving. Put your, um, register your presence when it comes to your table. Keep it moving table to table. And if you're not on that roster, you should be because you're here. So put your name, in a, an, your name and your email address, and Connie will get you added to the roster so you get the Friday updates from me about what's happening the next week, okay? So um, in terms of classes, meeting, and, and, and such things. So let's see. I have the feeling I'm forgetting something. But obviously, how could I know what that is? Right? So, Patty, anything else here? Okay, let's pray. Let's get going. Let's pray with me, please. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be here today. We're grateful for this lovely Tuesday. We're grateful that we can come together and study your word to take this hour and 15 minutes or hour and a half out of our day to just put other things aside and come here to dive into scripture take our time talk about it so that we can become more mature in our faith and in our discipleship and 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 be ready to to consume the um the, the meat that paul talks about uh, here pretty shortly in the letter 
All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's where we are. We we finished chapter one, and we went a f- we <laughs> and we went a f- like five verses into chapter two. But there's a whole long section um, in First Corinthians. In fact, all of First Corinthians. You need to think about it in terms of some of the larger units, because that's how he's writing. Right, he's writing a letter, and so he's writing a letter, and he's sort of going through topic by topic, and so. We need to always have our eye on what the larger topic is as we're kind of going through it verse by verse. So here's where we've been. The letter begins in verses chapter 1, verses 10 to 17, with that appeal for unity. And he's not through talking about unity because he sees the divisions of the church as an indicator of their still being very much people of what he would call the flesh, people of this age, this age being um, the age of sin and death and not really embracing and being part of the age to come, the age introduced by Jesus. And then he starts talking, and in, in, in really chapter, verse 18 um, all the way to chapter 2, verse 5, about foolishness, the cross, wisdom, and what he he does, and we, we spent some time on this, is he is contrasting the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of, for these people of Aristotle and Plato, these great philosophers that they value so much, and their valuing of eloquence, and rhetoric with the wisdom of God, and how is the wisdom of God seen? It is seen in the cross. And the cross seems like foolishness to people in the ancient world. Of course it does. What sort of God gets himself crucified? The cross is a symbol of humiliation, weakness, loss, defeat, death. Nonetheless, um, for Paul, everything revolves the cross. You want to know what wisdom is, you look to the cross. You want to know what God's love is about, you look to the cross. It's the starting point. It's the end point. Our lives should be... Here's a good word to know. It's kind of... Well, I like it. Cruciform. C-R-U-C-I. Crusa, like in crucified. Cruciform. F-O-R-M. Cruciform lives are are lives that are shaped by the cross, shaped by sacrifice, shaped by understanding um, what love really is. And we are to live cruciform lives. You can understand Paul by bringing to Paul a cruciform perspective because he brings everything back to the cross, and that's what he's been doing in this opening section. You have the world, you have God, you have the world, you have you have the cross. Um, Okay? And as we'll see in just a minute, Christian preaching must begin and end with the cross. We're going to, we quickly read through that at the end of last week, so I felt like we made some progress. (laughs) Okay? And then we're going to go into a section that is still part of this larger passage about wisdom for the mature. Okay? We already know that Paul preaches Christ crucified. That's not what the world would expect Paul to preach, 
but that is what he does preach and it was a mystery withheld from the powerful people of this world the really really smart people of this world really from everybody but it's focus on is on the things that the Corinthians valued be being Greeks they value the philosophers the eloquence the rhetoric all of that and he said now now God's wisdom was hidden from you and we'll talk about that today God revealed this wisdom Christ crucified to us through the spirit we're going to talk about that today okay those who have the spirit and those who do not and what that what that really means and then he's going to contrast again just think it's really the same discussion that's why these passages are all linked together that those who don't who have not come to faith in Jesus have not been filled by the Spirit, who have not embraced the Spirit and work with the Spirit to grow in their faith. They are too deeply rooted in this world. Unbelievers are of this world, of what he will call a natural mind, okay? As compared to believers and those who are embracing this path of discipleship, who, as he will say, have has have the mind of Christ which is a very striking phrase the mind of Christ yet he uses it at least twice here and and in Philippians so we will so we will talk about that as well and um, you know one thing Patty has noticed in her survey of common popular culture now right is the increasing willingness of people to just simply throw out, well, you know, I'm, I'm a world-class atheist or something. And it is a world now where people are just completely comfortable saying that. They're completely comfortable never going to church. They're completely comfortable knowing absolutely nothing about Jesus, never stepping inside a church. That's a lot different than the world I grew up in. The world I grew up in, there was just a societal expectation that you would go and you might learn something. I think the world, um, especially the polling shows that this is especially for two of 40 and under. I just think there's vast oceans of ignorance about all of this. You know, I hear somebody say, oh, I'm a world-class atheist. I don't think they've, they've ever really tried to be anything else. They have don't really, they don't, what do they know? What do what they strive to know about God? So, so that, that group, that audience is who Paul is talking to, because right? he's writing into a world in which on the one hand, you have a very, very f- small group of believers, people who've put their faith in Christ. And on the other hand, you have millions of pagans, most of whom will not give Paul the time of day. They won't strive to hear. They, they are locked into what he calls their, their, their different ways to translate it. Not easy to translate. Their natural mind. Kind of what they were born with. Because, of course, I don't want to get too far ahead, but one of the groundings in the Christian faith is what Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in the Gospel of John, which we finished on, was that Mondays I did, John? Or in here? Tuesdays I don't know anyway I don't I I, I can't remember anything nowadays okay 
So, so Nicodemus the Pharisee comes to see Jesus in John 3, says he doesn't understand, and Jesus says to him, you must be born a second time. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born from above. There is this, it doesn't have to have been a blinding experience for you. You might be someone who's loved Jesus your whole life, but still, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been born again, born a second time, reborn. You have been crucified and resurrected. Paul has lots of ways to talk about this, and he's going to do more of that today. So let's look at chapter. We're just going to finish up the last. Um, I'm going to. Li- should I leave that up there for a little bit? Sure, why not? It might be helpful. So look at chapter 2, verse 1. We, we went a few verses into this. But this we're going to finish up this, this second section here. And Paul says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. That's, that's the TED Talk world. <laughs> As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything swirls around Jesus Christ and him crucified. For Paul, the word Christ can't be separated from the word crucified. The resurrection is the proof that Jesus' crucifixion was not what it seemed, but... The climax of the story is on the Friday, the Good Friday, when Jesus is crucified. And so for Paul, everything, it's like, it's like, have you ever seen those big things they have at museums where you put a penny in and it swirls around and around and around until finally it ends up in the little, right? Nobody else besides me? I love those things. I love those things. Okay. So, so for Paul, you put the penny in, and it all goes back to where? Christ crucified. In Christian theology, round and round it goes. Where does it all end up? Christ crucified. Resurrection is the proof, but the, where does it all end up? Christ crucified. The cross. So, I... Verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Because he's going to try to speak to them and tell them about Jesus. But he's not, he doesn't feel like he's like, he's like really up to that kind of task. I mean, who can really preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who can, who is really fully equipped to to preach the gospel it's a humbling experience i i've been doing it for a long time i still get nervous about it every sunday i pre- i preached on sunday when i before i preach while i'm sitting up there or down there wherever i'm sitting i pray to god to for to just help because it is it's intimidating to preach to people the good news of jesus christ and so paul says i came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words <laughs> richard hayes says 
has this whole thing in his commentary. He says, so Paul says. Now, I suspect Paul was a better speaker than he lets on because he's making a point here, okay? But with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, it's all about God. It is not about Paul. See, see, the Corinthians would expect somebody to come in and to win them over with what? Logic, reason, a wonderfully delivered TED Talk, <laughs> right? But not Paul. He just kind of comes in bedraggled and he starts talking to him about Jesus. So the, the emphasis is all upon God and God's power in this, a demonstration of the Spirit's power, the Holy Spirit's power there in Corinth. And why does he do it that way? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. He, he wants to take, and he's, re, he's reorienting their entire mental wiring. You know, um, people rewire lots of things. I don't because I would probably electrocute myself if I did that. Um, I did that one time. I was working on a bathroom remodel. This is decades and decades ago. And I had this, this light fixture I was putting up above the sink in the bathroom, and I did something wrong. And the next thing I know, I am down on the floor, just like, what in the world? <laughs> but anyway, Paul is rewiring minds. That, you know, in Romans chapter 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you might understand what God's will really is, what is good and true and perfect and wise and all the rest of it. We have to be renewed, reborn. You can use different words, transformed. And I think we just often don't get that. I know I went much of my life, never really, never really got that. Yes, Don. He's preaching to the choir, but they are not acting like the choir, and they're not living like the choir. And he's going to say in chapter 3, I, got, I still got to give you milk because you're still infants in this, right? And so, you know, our theology, Christian theology, is pretty, can be pretty nice and neatly organized, and it can be, it can be set out logically. But there are practicalities, okay? He's writing to the Corinthians. Does Paul really know where any of them are with respect to putting, genuinely putting their faith in Jesus? Does Paul know that? Could he know that? Is it knowable by anyone? No. I, I can't know where anybody is, genuinely with respect to their faith in Christ. All he can go by is what he sees, and what he sees are people who are what? Still, they're divided. He takes their division to be a sign of the fact that they are too much grounded in their old lives, in, this, in the age of the flesh. So as we'll see, so that's what he sees as their pastor. And, but they are the choir, 
I, mean, oh, well, I will give you that. I mean, they're, they've, they're meeting in these house churches. But as the letter goes on, it's clear that they are getting lots of stuff wrong. One of the things they get wrong is they don't even believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Right? They just, it, it's like they've embraced Jesus, and, but they're shaping Jesus into what? One of their Greek philosophers. And they're approaching Jesus in that sort of way. And, and that's what Paul writes to them about. I think that's the way you could say this. Okay? But Don is right. These are all, he's writing to these house, house churches. So in that way, he is preaching to the choir. Okay. Anything else before we go on to verse 6? Because here Paul is going to get ironic. And it's easy to, you know, it's easy. To, maybe it's easy to miss the irony. I don't think it's that easy to miss it. But we'll see. Okay, Paul writes, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. He's just said, you know, he's embracing the way of foolishness, which is the way of the cross, as opposed to the way of the wisdom, which is the way of Plato. And now he says, but we do. But we do speak a message of wisdom. And so what's the irony? He's going to speak about the wisdom of God, you see the wisdom of God. So now he's using irony. He said, yeah, yeah, I, I'll talk on your terms. I'll use the terms you're comfortable with. Sure, let's talk about wisdom. You don't know what wisdom is. He says, we do, meaning Paul, I, Paul, kind of a royal we. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. So here I get to use this slide okay here is the earl this is built off jewish eschatology that is now being transformed into christian eschatology eschatology is a big word i know but it's not a complicated word eschaton means last things simple eschaton means last things so what is eschatology the study of last things that's all it is and the truth of these last things have been revealed to us by God. And so, and the word for, for revealing in the Greek is, apoc is apocalyptosis. So consequently, apocalypse is the word to talk about this, this eschatology. And Jesus is an apocalyptic preacher. Paul is an apocalyptic teacher. Of course he is, because he's teaching that indeed the kingdom of God arrived in Jesus. So the way the Christians end up led by Paul is that there is this age. This is the age of sin and death, the age of what Paul will sometimes call the flesh, just as a way to talk about it. This is, this is the age of, you know, Julius Caesar, the Egyptians, everybody all back to the beginning of time. In contrast to the age to come, which is the age ushered in by Jesus, also called the kingdom of God. And we live in between the times, right? Because the age to come has come already, but not yet. It will be fully manifested 
when Jesus returns. There are other ways to draw this. You know, I just like this one right now because it's in color. So, <laughs> okay? So what Paul is saying to these people is you're too, you got your feet too firmly planted in this age. In this age. And what is it resulting in? Vision among you. So he says, back to verse 6, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. The mature Christians, you see, because he's going to talk. We may not get there today, but in chapter 3, he's going to talk about having to feed them milk because they're not mature Christians. And I have sympathy for them. This is, this, I, I don't talk about them in this way to put them down. My goodness. They don't have anything. They've got... They don't meet in a church building. They don't have any curricula. They don't have any, what do they have? They have Paul and, and an occasional letter from Paul. That's probably all that they have. They, have. they might get their hands on some Hebrew scrolls, maybe. Maybe some of the Jews in the community um, uh, have some of that or have access to some of that, even though the, Christians tend, the Jew, Jewish Christians tended to be chased out. So, so, of course, they don't have much. And Paul is their pastor and their teacher and their shepherd. So he says, we do, how, in verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Because this age is passing away. Indeed, I have to be... I love verb tenses now, never cared about them before in my life until I get into the Bible. This age has already passed away, Paul would say. And it has not yet passed away, Paul would say, as he tries to express the truth that in Jesus is coming, everything changed. God's victory over sin and death was won where? On that cross even as we still await the consummation of God's kingdom. We're in these funny in-between times in which both ages, the ages overlap, and we await the day when the age of sin and death is swept away. And that day will arrive. When? When Jesus returns. So he says, you know, the wisdom he brings is not the wisdom of this age. It's not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. He doesn't mean anything dramatic by that. He just means the important people. The kings and princes and Caesars and rulers and governors and all the, you know, all the uppity-ups. We have uppity-ups in our world. They beset us in all sorts of ways. He says, no, we declare God's wisdom not the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of God. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. It's God's wisdom that matters. The, and, and what is a mystery? A mystery is something that, for, for, this, for, for Paul's purposes, for biblical purposes, really. A mystery is something that you could not know unless somebody told you. 
And in this case, that mystery is God. <laughs> that person, <laughs> that's not right. That person who tells you is God, right? So the, what's the mystery? The insane, <sighs> I'll use Peggy Noonan's word from her column last Saturday, the ridiculous Right? The ridiculous mystery is that God saves the world through the crucifixion of the Son of God. The ridiculous claim that God was born incarnate in the flesh, slimy and wet and umbilical cords and just all just kind of nasty. Right? All that is God. That's the creator of the cosmos. Who would claim such a thing? Nobody would. Nobody would think of it. And it's ridiculous, but it's true. It's true. It's true. How do we know it's true? Because Jesus was resurrected. You see? You see how it works? So, and, um, so all this time, that mystery has been, like, waiting to be revealed that this is what God would do. This is the extent to which God loves us. I heard a uh, Paul scholar whose name escapes me right now. He's a very, he, he was a very combative sort of fellow, I remember him. But he's, he's talk, he was talking about Romans, and he's talking about a passage in Romans when it says, you know, the righteous, uh, righteousness of God is revealed. And he said, what this is like, it's like one of those little boxes that holds engagement rings, you know? And, and this mystery has been in this little box. It's been there all along that God, God would do this. And now the box is opened. And who is in the box? Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Aristotle, brilliant man, would never have figured it out. Plato would never have figured it out. Moses would never have figured it out. Nobody, nobody could figure out such a thing. Nobody could figure out such a thing. Consequently, Jesus was rejected by most. After his resurrection, he was rejected by most. Because it just seemed crazy, ridiculous, silly, blasphemous if you're Jewish. No, but it's true. But it's true. Because Jesus was resurrected, and hallelujah for that. So, verse 8 again, he says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, of course. If, the bo- if they understood what was in the box, who was in the box, would they have crucified the Son of God if they really thought that they were, he was the Son of God? Well, that would be really crazy. But they didn't know. They didn't know. Their minds are darkened and polluted and sinful. and They don't know. They didn't know. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand a thing. That's why there's, there's so many people in our age who should try harder to understand, to understand. But they don't. They're just, they're just, they're just, they're just lazy. They're intellectually lazy. And they don't strive to understand. Just like the, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Just as I could write, none of the rulers of this age 
understand this, for if they did, they wouldn't stand and proclaim out to the world that they are a world-class atheist. Anyway, I'll get off that soapbox now. <laughs> Verse 9. The Paul writes, However, as it is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, the box is closed, right? What no human mind has conceived, of course not. The things God has prepare, prepared for those who love him. You just, and, and it, it, you can't, yes, Paul uses the book of Isaiah a lot, the scroll of Isaiah a lot in this. I think this is, this might be Isaiah, I'm not sure. I can't read the footnote in my, on my iPad here. doesn't matter. Just, don't ask yourself why well why didn't people get it it's right there in Isaiah chapter chapter 6 or right there in Isaiah chapter 11 or right there in Deuteronomy because when you fall into that what I think is a trap you begin to lose sight of how wild how wild it is this how wild the love of God is that God would go so far as to be born to Mary, to be crucified. It's wild. We just, we get, I grew up, I grew up, even if I didn't go to church my whole life, I went to church most of my life, except for about a five-year period before I met Patty here, who got me back in I was still surrounded by, I swam in those waters. Let me put it that way. The water I grew up in and the water I swam in was sort of imbued with Jesus and, you know, a cross and resurrection. You heard the words, you swam in the waters. That's changing. There are increasing numbers of people who don't grow up in swimming in those waters at all. They, they grow up in... They're growing up in, in, in poisonous waters. And it's showing. It's showing. Okay. So, verse 10, Paul says, These are the things God has revealed to us by how? By whom? By how? By His Spirit. Why does he say by His Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence. When you say that God is revealing something to you sitting here at a round table, it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the revealing because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, whom Paul calls once the Spirit of Christ, it is the Spirit of God who is walking beside you and opening this up for you. And so for Paul, there's going to be this demarcation, which is difficult to ascertain between those who have the Spirit, those who have genuinely put their faith in Christ, and those who have not. But that line is there. It's all through the New Testament. John's Gospel, the line is there. There's light and there's darkness. You're in the, you're in the darkness until you step into the light. There's no twilight. There's no gray in that the gray comes from our inability to ascertain all this stuff 
even about ourselves. You know, I remember one time I read Franklin, Franklin Graham's biography. This was decades ago. Seemed to me like the man had gotten saved like three times. I look over my own life. I, pre I just told you, I was out of the church for five years before I married Patty, and I married Patty in the late 90s. Um, that's okay. It happens to us all. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> so, where was I? Um, okay. So, you know when I preached my first sermon? When I was about 30. I was 30 years old. I was working for B.F. Goodrich at the time. I was up in Stowe, Ohio. The pastor there sort of took me under his wing, and he invited me to preach a sermon. I preached a second sermon. From my perspective, I didn't really come to faith in Christ until after I had met Patty. That was when God grabbed me. But do I really know for sure? What, do, would I be surprised if I went up and, 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 and Jesus came over to me and said, Oh, Scott, I know you spent some years in the wilderness, but no, you were... I don't, I, I don't know. All I know is that I have to wake up every day and try to put one foot in front of the other walking toward Jesus. That's what I can do. That's why for Paul, he can't see inside these people's hearts. He can only see what he can't see, which is the division among them. And infer from that certain, certain problems that they are having in how they view Jesus, the faith, and the rest of it, which lead to them denying not only Jesus' resurrection, but their own, which is why the great resurrection chapter is at the end of this letter. So, well, okay. Any questions or thoughts? Oh, you're saying maybe I was a prodigal? Maybe, maybe I was. No. Okay, and there are lots of wilderness stories in the Bible. I, my, my point is that because we people are very inclined to make judgments about the state of other people's faith in Jesus, right? Because we are just naturally kind of judgmental people. So we are quick to do that. And so I'm always cautioning people that they have difficulty understanding where they are with Jesus. And my greatest sadness is I'm sure there are people who think they're totally right with Jesus who really aren't. Because they don't, they, they, they're just, they, 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 they don't understand, they don't try, so... I just, so that's why I'm just offering caution to people is all. Okay, so let's go on in verse 10, which second half begins a new paragraph. So the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. 
Now, I like the capital S here in the NIV because sometimes it's not clear whether you've got a capital S or not. But I think, yes, there should be the capital S, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit, not capitalized, very good, their own spirit within them. This is this, for the Greeks, um, so not just Corinthians, but for their, in the Greco-Roman world, part of their mental framework is that everyone has what they would call a soul or maybe the spirit. Um, hard to translate. In the, in the Greek, it's a psychikos, which is a psyche. Is We get our word psyche from that. It's something inside you that animates you in this life, in this age. Okay? And so all all Paul is saying, nobody can know anyone's thoughts except themselves, to which I would add, and they may not either, right? Um, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, this is his point, because Paul likes making comparisons in the same way no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit of course which is another cautionary phrase because lots of people like to imagine what God has to think about all sorts of things our only guide to understanding what God would think about anything is in the pages of Scripture anything else is arrogance on our part and the way it plays out is usually we end up thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure God would agree with me about this, right? Because that's we want to worship a God made in our own image. But that's, that's backwards. So he says in verse 12 then, what have we received, what we have received, the we being Paul and the Christians, what we have received, and the Corinthian Christians, he will put all that in there, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit, I'll add that word, who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Just just go back to John chapter 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you are not going to understand this, Nicodemus, unless you have been born from above could be translated born again, born a second time. Remember Nicodemus says, do you mean I'm supposed to go back up like I'm my mother's womb and come out? Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. How silly, right? But it is that rebirth, that renewal in the spirit that marks out the believers, even if they don't realize it. It does. Paul will so often figuratively be sort of taking people by their shoulders and sort of shaking them up a little bit. He says, don't you remember? Don't you remember? The Spirit dwells in you. Don't you remember? (laughs) Now clean up your act. So, yeah. Okay. What we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, 
slash Plato Aristotle. Just go insert them there. But in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Those are all, those are all age-to-come ideas, age-to-come words. The Spirit, Spirit-filled, spiritual mind, spiritual people, doesn't mean what the world means by it today. Everybody today, even the world-class atheist, is going to tell you, oh, yes, I'm a very spiritual person. It's not what we mean. We should have a different word. They should have, I'm going to make them use a different word. For in your New Testament, spiritual is, is about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, being imbued by the, the Spirit of God, dwelt, indwelt by the Spirit of God. Um, and when we are, and we do, and we go ahead and do our share of the work, right? This, none of this is magic. When the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that doesn't free us from having to do our own part of this. What's Jesus's, what's Jesus's last instruction to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew? Go make disciples. There's making work here to be done. And Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's not magic. You've got you, you to do your part. We're here. We're trying to do our part. We should be trying all the time to do our part. Um, so he says, this is what we, verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Now that's, that's the way the NIV makes their way through this section because he's not talking, what is he not talking about? He, for example, he's not talking about what later and elsewhere he will call spiritual gifts. You know, he talks about spiritual gifts of teaching and pastoring and proclaiming and other things. It's not what he's talking about. He is talking about the, 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 the Christians being indwelt by God's Spirit, which enables them to grasp the mystery that has been revealed by God and without whom you will not grasp it. That I'm, maybe he says, I think he says that more, more plainly coming up, right? A lot of, pr yeah, Diane, thank you. Okay. Okay, a Cliff Notes version. A Cliff Notes version works like this. Here's what he's telling the Corinthians. Think back, think back to the box, right? This is this is God's love lived out, embodied in Christ, in the cross. It's revealed now because Jesus has been born, he has been crucified, he has been resurrected. That is the depth of God's love, is that cross. That's what that cross shows you. It's what it demonstrates for you. And he says the truth of that would, was never seen before by the rulers and the people of this age, but it has been now. But even now, the truth of it is only going to be known 
by those in whom God's Spirit dwells. Okay? All right? That, that, that clear enough? God, and in whom does God's Spirit dwells? Those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're really thinking this through, what does that mean? It means that you can't go out somewhere and set yourself a course to grab the Holy Spirit to yourself. Mm-mm, doesn't work like that. You don't, even, you don't even know you don't have the Spirit, really, if you don't. So how are you going to go find the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? You're not. God is going to, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and that is by God's grace alone. You don't earn it. There's no curriculum that's going to lead you there. It is God's doing. Now, we want to make it our doing in all kinds of ways. We want to make it our doing, but it is not our doing. It is God's doing. Um, Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesians, we are saved by the grace of God so that nobody can boast because we would. Why me and not my sister? I don't have a sister, but why me and not my sister? Why, how, how is it I believe I've come to faith in Christ, but my, my sister just does, has no interest? I can't, I can't answer those questions, right? Because it is about God. It's, it is about God's grace and God's initiative. And without God's grace, I would never even respond to what God is trying to do for me. Okay, so what Don is saying, okay, the Spirit dwells in all of us. The all is all Christians, not non-Christians, okay? And the problem is we don't listen to the Spirit. Yeah, because it's a cooperative project. It's a cooperative project. No, what I was saying a minute ago was that if you take people who have not put their faith in Jesus they don't even know they don't have the Spirit. That's where Paul's headed in this. They don't even know what they don't know. He did come to all people, but many, many people don't avail themselves of that. They have not so far, right? So the que- it, it's, it's, it's difficult because Christianity is very inclusive in the sense that Jesus died for all. But there are many who resist, who turn away, right? And and don't I'll put don't avail themselves of what God is doing for them. And and the Corinthian Christians have, though Paul says he can't see the, the thoughts in their minds, okay? But the evidence for Paul of their 
lack of hearing the Spirit is their division. For, for Paul, that is why they're still infants, which he will call them in a few minutes. He will get quite direct about this. Not Maybe not in a few minutes today, but next week. He w- <laughs> right? They, you're infants. I've got to give you a little milk. I want to give you meat, but I can't. I've got to give you little bottles of milk because you're still babies, and he's not happy about it. We could say to Paul, well, Paul, you need to be more sympathetic. You need to be this and this and this. Paul is direct. He says, maybe I should be, but you are still infants, and you need to know this, and you've gotten all puffed up about your faith. And you don't even realize you're still infants in the faith. So... Um, let's go back and just let's just go back a couple of verses and just take what we said and and read through this. Look at verse thirteen. Let's look at verse twelve. <laughs> verse twelve. I'm sorry. Verse twelve. Yes, twelve. What we have received is not the spirit of this world. Put the word culture or something there. I don't care. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is from God, that is what we Christians, Paul is writing, have received. Paul and the Corinthians. Why? So that we may understand what God has freely given us. They didn't earn it. It's grace. God has given it to them freely. Did God have to do it? No, God did. Why? Did, why them? I don't know so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. We, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are only through the Spirit. That's a pretty, to me, that's a pretty clear sentence. The person without the Spirit, who lacks the, who lacks the Holy Spirit? Very good. Non-believers. Thank you, Patty. Did you yell that out or somebody else? Good, right? Non-believers, those who have not come to faith in Christ. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness. Yeah, I'm a world-class atheist. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And so you could ask me, well, Scott, so like take that person who proudly proclaims their world-class atheism. Where are they with God? What is God doing with them? Where is God in their, what, what, Scott? And I'm going to say, well, how would I know? I'm not God for one. I'm not them for the other. But I know what Paul is saying because it's what Paul, what Jesus says to Nicodemus. In John 3, Nicodemus comes and he says to Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about. And what does Jesus say to him? You have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to be born a second time. You have to be reborn. And and that is, you know, in the Holy Spirit. So, okay. 
Let's do verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, okay? But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For, quote, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And Paul just sort of drops that there. That there is something dramatically different about coming to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and that you then have the mind of Christ, which is like mind point. You're thinking, well, how could I have the mind of Christ? Paul talks about it twice. Um, either today or next week. Uh, what time is it? I see. Maybe today. Um, in fact, let's just do this, and then I'm going to um, take questions. Turn to the second chapter of Philippians. The famous Christ hymn. The famous, famous Christ hymn. Um, Okie dokie, Scott. How do I do this? I'm trying to do something I've never done. I've never done these classes in a classroom from an iPad. Okay, so turn to like Second Philippians chapter 2. Um, ah, we'll start at the beginning of chapter 2. Because I love the opening paragraph. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And we'll just hear Paul. This is, a, this is a letter to another group of Christians. These are in Philippi, Greece. Paul has a very contentious relationship with the Corinthian Christ Christians. He does not have a contentious relationship with the Philippian Christ Christians. He loves them. They love him. It's all, it's all in a totally different um, context. And he writes, chapter 2, verse 1 in Philippians, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, and of course their answer should be yes, 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 if any tenderness and compassion, then make my, Paul's, my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. You see, he's always talking about our unity in the body of Christ. Verse 3, what does that unity in the body of Christ look like? What does our oneness in Christ look like? <coughs> Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. <coughs> so Paul gets practical again. What does it look like when, when we're all unified? <coughs> I'm getting so excited here. I'm choking myself up. Okay. Put others' interests ahead of your own. Wow. First, <coughs> man... It's just one of those throw tickles in the wrong place. 
the wine is a good idea. That's what Paul writes, tells Timothy. Maybe that's what he was talking about. <laughs> in your relationships with, with one another, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There we go again. What is that mindset? Remember that word I used before that we don't use very much, cruciform? That's the mindset. A mindset shaped by what? Shaped by the cross. Because look, look onward. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Even though he was God, is God. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. <coughs> this is going to sound great on the tape. And being found in appearance, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That is the mind of Christ. And that cruciformity, whoa, is what should characterize our lives in Christ and with one another. Jesus said, you know, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. It challenges us. Um, and it, it challenged Paul and he's trying, he, I, I think he's trying to get the Corinthians to grasp that the challenge is even there. They have so much transformation yet to undergo that they, they probably don't even, they don't even have a sense of what it means, of the direction of that transformation. That transformation is, is a direction toward living cruciform lives, giving, living cross-shaped lives, sacrificially for one another, putting one's other's interests ahead of my own. We have the mind of Christ. Paul drops those phrases in his letters, and they're just... They're just staggering. So let, let's read a few more verses because I do want to get to the meat and milk part and then I'll take any questions, okay? Go back to Corinthians, please. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is all part of the same, same, same dealie. See, it would have been better if it had been a nice break, but if the chapter 3 had started at verse 5, but it didn't. So here we go. These first four verses are really with everything that came before. So he says, so it's kind of like wrapping it up now. He says, okay, because Paul is confusing. I'm confusing. I get that. This stuff ain't easy. Really, why, why is it not easy? Because it's so counterculture, it's so counter to the way our brains and hearts are wired by the world around us. Truly. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. 
I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Notice the phrase, live by the Spirit. He isn't saying they're not indwelt by the Spirit. They're not living by the Spirit. As people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, still in the flesh, still of this age. Would be a, I think a, the NIV um, changed it up too much to me because it says, but as people who are still in the flesh, in the Greek, mere infants in Christ. Nothing wrong with being an infant in Christ. Everybody's an infant in Christ at some point, but you can't stay there. You can't stay there. I'm, remember that's, nah, if you don't know, I'm going to give you a song to go find on Spotify, okay? <laughs> it's called, it was by Amy Grant from her first album, Age to Age, and the name of the song was Fat Baby. Do I get that right? Yeah, Fat Baby, Amy Grant from the album Age to Age. Go home, listen to it. Cracks me up every time I hear it. Um, that she's singing about people who are stuck in their infancy. They might carry a Bible that weighs 10 pounds, but they're stuck in their infancy in Christ. And Paul is trying to move people to maturity in Christ. Because how can you make disciples if you haven't become a more mature disciple yourself, right? So he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food for you. Weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. (laughs) You're still worldly. You're still in the flesh. You're still of this age. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? <laughs> you notice when we screw up, what do we say? Oh, I'm just being human. No, that's backwards. Who was the most human human? Jesus. When you get it really right, you should say, oh, I finally I'm being human. We aren't supposed to be sinful people walking in darkness, screwing all sorts of things up. But we are. But we can do better. That's the thing. See, what Paul would say to, I'm not going to, I'd say, Paul, Paul, baby, I, I, I'm just doing the best I can every day. You say, Scott, you can do better. You can do better. Get up tomorrow, and you can do better. I just think that's what he would say to me. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not of this, right? Are you not? He isn't saying that the Spirit doesn't dwell in them. He's just saying they're living as if the Spirit didn't dwell in them. Does that make sense? Does that help with some of this? Right? Because all he can do is observe their behavior. That's all any of us can do. So he's not making pronouncements about all kinds of things he can't know. But he's saying to them, you're not living by the Spirit. You're acting like mere humans. And those the, the, the teaching phrase I've used, I've beat it to death. But the pan, I haven't used it much since the pandemic. I was, I was once a teenage boy, believe it or not. 
hard to imagine? Maybe not. I don't know. So, but my, my mom would occasionally come out with a phrase, something like that. She would, Scott, you are 15. Would you act like it? Because I was acting like I was eight. You know, right? I wasn't acting my age. I was acting like I was not a budding young adult, but I was still act, I was acting childish, okay? That's this. That's this. Yes, they have been born again. They're just not acting like it. They are falling back. They're just, just comfortable, not getting anywhere. Listen to Fat Baby, I- Immigrant. It's, it's, it's this. So he says, are you not acting like mere humans? Dot, 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 because you are not. Why are they not mere humans? Because the very Spirit of God dwells in them. That makes them not. Takes their humanity to a new place. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? You, you, you don't have to know Jesus to indulge yourself in all kinds of division. So, he's a pastor. That's what he tries to do. And, and um, so, okay, any questions? Anything I would like to talk about? Yes. Ninety-four, bless her. Yes. Okay. Well, Jesus is God, and so He is addressed. Here's the interesting part that you can tell your mother at ninety-four. Very quickly, very quickly, the Christians, the believers, all of whom are Jewish, are calling Jesus Lord. From the earliest thing that we can find, they're calling Jesus Lord. And they're all Jews. They're Jews who are embracing Jesus as Messiah. Okay? In the Hebrew scrolls, when they came upon the name of God, they wouldn't even pronounce it. It was too holy for the Jews to pronounce. Instead, they would say the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. Right? which is why in our Old Testaments it's filled with the Lord God because it's really God's name there. And now they call Jesus Lord, okay, because he is God. Um, God is triune. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? In our language and the way we talk, we can get, I think, understandably, a little bit mixed up sometimes or a little bit sloppy in how we use the language. I know I do. I, I even think the Apostles' Creed is a little confusing in the way that it's set out. And it leads us to kind of think, well, there's God and then there's Jesus and then we don't really know what to do with the Holy Spirit and we lose sight of the fundamental Christian proclamation that 
God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a unity of one. There is one God. We're not monotheistic. There is one God. We are monotheistic. Let me correct my, my own. Let me correct myself. We are monotheistic, okay? We are monotheistic. We believe in one God who exists, has always existed, shall always is, exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of ways to talk about it. I'm of the opinion that none of them are fully sufficient because it's all I can do is lift up that God is both three and one um, triune in God's being. And that's why you can tell your mom that we worship Jesus as we worship God because Jesus is God even if sometimes the way we talk about this makes it potentially confusing. That's, that's the deal. Because, you see, they walked with Jesus. The, the people who write, some of those who wrote the New Testament, they walked with Jesus. Well, that, that would make it confusing. So anyway, is that helpful? Okay. That, that's a deep question right there. Yes. Well, you are just so welcome. Okay, so what she was saying was over the course of her life, she had met many people who thought when you talked about the Holy Spirit, they didn't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling in them because they thought it meant they were about to break out speaking in tongues and everything. And that is something very unfortunate, okay, because you can't read. Why do I read Paul verse by verse? so that we keep coming upon these things that make it very clear that there's no New Testament understanding of Christians who are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit and tongue speaking or other things like that. They're their own category over here, but we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what did somebody say about a wasp? Oh, well, I don't know. Could be demonic. Anyway, <laughs> let's pray, and then some. Somebody brave, brave soul here will kill the wasp, or you'll get out of here in a hurry. Okay, so Gary and Jan are normally sitting right here. They both came down with COVID. Gar- Gary's almost done with it. Jan's got a little bit to go. Gary's feeling better. So just stay well, people. Let's just stay well. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, as we head out of here today, let this, let this kind of rest on our hearts a bit. Let, let us be grateful that you have grabbed us, that you have brought us to you, that, you, that your Holy Spirit dwells in us. Just as importantly, let us live out lives in in the spirit. Let us live out these cruciform lives, these Christ-shaped lives, 
that are the lives of genuine disciples. May we, may we acknowledge that wherever we are today, we can do better tomorrow to reflect your love to others. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.